Hello and welcome to Miss Checkpoints, the video game book club podcast. Today we're wrapping up our discussion of Bioshock Infinite. I'm your host Marcus and joining me today as always are the homies. First up we have Dante. What's good? Then we have Trevor. What's going on? And last but not least we have the homie Greg. Yo. So um, we last left off, we kind of rushed through some of the story beats. So we're going to kind of, of the first half of the game that we played. So uh, we're going to kind of slow down a little bit and kind of hit some of the notes that we may have missed and try to catch you guys up to speed. Um, We played about halfway through the game. I think we last left off at the factory or some of the story beats were... um, uh, Daisy Fitzroy was at the factory we, and uh, we had caught up with her and the Vox Populi revolution had begun and now you, Booker DeWitt, you were now tasked with <laughs> fighting against the Vox Populi. So you were now fighting all the minorities and um, she takes, uh, was it uh, Fink, the, uh, the head of the uh, uh, Fink Manufacturing, the factory, she takes him hostage or his son hostage after she kills him and you are tasked with killing Fitzroy and you basically distract her and Elizabeth kills her and this is her first time killing people. She's like this, you know, delicate flower that's been holed up in the tower and uh, super naive to the world. She freaks out after she kills. She realizes what she's done and she kind of panics but you guys do get to board the first lady airship and from then on she has like another like panic attack and she kind of just holds herself up in her bedroom in the airship and she comes out she's cut her hair she's wearing a new outfit um would you say that um the mary sue has become bloody mary weak (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> um, sure, man. I'll say that. I'll say that. But uh, I'll do we? Back later. Oh, yeah. I know you will. I know you will. Uh, is there any other like story stuff that we need to that we want to talk about that we may have skipped over in the first part? Because I know we kind of rushed through it last episode. The only thing I'll bring up is um, one thing that I've really gotten from the earlier parts, or at least from the bosses, is they kind of create a theme of like this idea of even what our America outside of the video game, what America is supposed to be like Finkton kind of represents the industrialized uh, society, the working class people. And then also like all these ethics behind um, proper working conditions. And then you have um, slate, who represents like the, the military, um, the soldiers, um, some of the, the trauma that they go through. And then of course, like just the, the whole idea, uh, when you're in Colombia is the idea of like being a citizen and all the racism going on. Yeah. There, there's a couple of different like overarching themes in that first part of the game. And um, I guess we'll, we'll get into it with the second part, but uh, in my opinion, it's a shame uh, some of the things that get 
pushed to the wayside and uh, to advance the overarching story of this game. But uh, I, I think it was a super, super cool world that they built with Columbia. And I was really, I know going into the second half, I was like, I mean, I've heard so much about this game and like, I'm just waiting for the, the other foot to drop to see like, where does it, when does the other foot drop? And then it's like, Oh, this is the part where, where it just starts to get not bad, but like different, I guess is the word. Um, and we, I think we, before we get into the story, I guess we'll be, before we get any further, let's, uh, is there any more gameplay mechanics or elements that we want to talk about or retouch on? Um, because I, will say going into the second half um i personally felt combat got more difficult uh i died once uh that was the only i only died once in this game and i died um in a fight with uh one of the hordes of enemies that you fight and then um one of the handyman killed you yeah I, i the handyman killed me and um I definitely I died to like the handyman at least two or three times in the second half. And um, I, one of the things that I noticed, like uh, I think by the end of the game, uh, um, I mean actually at this point we've we've gotten every we've uh, quote unquote unlocked every type weapon type. There are no new weapon types. And one of the things that I noticed was that I was consistently running out of ammo with guns in the second half of this game, and I was trying not to play the run-and-gun play style that I was playing in the first half, so I was using more abilities and stuff, and I was consistently low on salt and low on um, ammo, and I was wondering if anybody else had that issue or had anything similar to that, because that it made me realize something about Elizabeth... uh, because of this, because I was running low on ammo and low on salt, is that she's basically like the best teammate slash like real MVP. I yeah, like she doesn't even seem like a like traditional games. You know, you have the escort characters and they can't fend for themselves or anything. But when you get into a, com- a combat scenario. Uh, she just ducks out of the way. She fought like she follows you around, you know, but she's, she can't take damage. She doesn't have like a life bar or anything like that. And I mean, there's a reason I, I, I read a bunch about this game after beating and there's some theories on why, and I, we can discuss them later, but she doesn't have a health bar. She can't take damage. And she's just like anything you need that you're low on. She got you like, you're low on health. I found this health pack. You're low on ammo. You know, I got these bullets. Uh, you're low on salt. I, I found some of the salt or whatever. And it was like, I feel like she's like a, she's a cheat. She's like a cheat uh, code in this game. Did did anybody else notice that? Or I mean, oh yeah, like the, the second half of the game for sure. Um, especially even like the last big battle you have, like. I don't think there's any way you could really do that without, you know. But I guess the game's obviously designed that way. But, yeah, she's definitely the uh, the MVP. Do you think that's fair? Because I feel like the developers kind of were just like, mm, well, 
this is the combat isn't the main part of this game, so we don't want to make it more difficult than it is. It's like yeah. they they need to work. The, the combat is a vehicle for them to uh, to deliver this story to you. So we just want them to see this story. So we will like kind of trivialize the combat in the sense that like yes, I was using more ammo and more like vigors, and I and I only died once. Combat was more difficult, but I wasn't like stressing out because I was like, she's here and she's going to give me whatever I need. I'm, I'm, I'm having a hard time parsing what you're... So you enjoyed the combat more in the first section of the game, the first half. I, I, it's not... And I, then they ramped it up. <clears throat> Granted, they did give you a little bit more um, of a bungee net. So... I don't know. I'm... It's not. It's not about me enjoying it. It's just like it was kind of like the curtain got pulled back, and I saw how the game really was. So it was kind of like you know, like oh, I'm you know, like I'm doing really good. And then when they ramp up the combat, it kind of made me feel like I was doing bad, honestly, because it was like I was constantly low on ammo, I was constantly low on salt, and I think that was because they ramped up the difficulty. Like you were fighting. Kind of like how Trevor told you um, you got those three infusions for free. Kind of, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I know that's tr- you're trying to uh, backhand compliment me, but I'll take it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it, it was just kind of like, am I bad at the combat, or like, is it supposed to be like that? Because like you're fighting more difficult and like stronger enemies at that too. But it just kind of felt like, oh man, like where would I be if Elizabeth wasn't here, you know? Like, how would this be? And it kind of made me think, like, is is this combat easier than the other Bioshocks? Because am I, as far as I know, you don't have, a, uh, like, a partner, you know? Well, so, I mean, everything is relative. Even, like, I played on hard or whatever that name of the mode above normal is. And I died plenty. But even when you die, you just lose a little bit of money. You go right back to that scene. Any damage you've done to the enemies at that point has already been dealt. So you just keep continuing on. So the only thing you're really losing is about maybe 50 currency between deaths. So in a sense, there's not really that much of a repercussion for dying in the first place. I don't know. Like I I just kind of, it just felt like her presence and just the fact that she consistently always had exactly what you needed when you needed it it was like man she's like the real mvp as far as teammates but then it was just kind of like hey i'm not that bad (laughs) that's kind of how i felt you know there was definitely some times where i could use like health and then she was just kind of like nah bro (laughs) specifically i mean i guess with health too like you could a lot of times i feel like every combat scenario where there was like uh those tears there was like a medical kit, at least a medical kit uh, tear somewhere on the map. It, it was a, it, a matter of fighting, but there was one. But some of the other things like ammo for the specific gun you're using or salts, like you can look at the draw. And I don't know, like one of the, one of the other things that was kind of made it a little bit like boost how of a teammate she was was that yeah you could kill enemies and loot them but it didn't pause the action so a lot of times I would clear out a room and then loot the bodies afterwards and so there was a couple times where it's like I'm low on ammo or low on salt or something 
or health, and I can easily loop this body that I'm standing behind, but that just takes me out of the action. So I'm going to wait till I've cleared out the room before I do that. And um, I'm not upset that that was that way, but that would have, uh, I wouldn't have needed her as much if they did pause the action. I kind of wish that they had like a, um, like a decoy vigor in this game that would like kind of draw enemy fire a little bit. I know there's like times where there's tears where you can like put up a decoy, but I think it could have benefited from having that because that would give you opportunities in those situations to be like, okay, well I can kind of throw this out, run around, pick up whatever stuff I need off these dead bodies and then try and go back into combat. They had those shield vigors, that shield vigor. Uh, we could soak up damage and then yeah, shoot it I, back. I use that a little bit, I guess, but I don't. I don't know if I really thought it was like that effective, or maybe I was using it wrong. Maybe that's probably what it was. The only other thing I could think of is kind of getting a little crafty and either using like the shock one or the crow one to stun them, or using the um, uh, was it the bucking bronco one to lift them in the air, and then just kind of running and doing, you know. But that that would. To do that, you would have to hope that everybody was kind of crowded together. So, but that was often not the case with the way the combat was in this game. I think that one thing that helps is combining, like you said, combining um, your vigors as well as your weapons. Because um, after I finished the game, something I read online um, was that once you get further into what we're about to talk about in the story, you can combine the the crow vigor crow vigor with the um devil's kiss and that is super effective against some enemies i know i was using like um the bucking bronco and then i would use the charge vigor um in combination and so i think that's one part of the the gameplay that tries to get you to on different skills and and weapons and come up with the best solution yeah, it wasn't until like I was super close to the end of the game that I realized that you could combine things. And at that point, like I had never tried because I didn't use vigors that often. So I, at that point, I was just like, like, oh well, if I ever play this game again, I'll experiment with it. Like uh, I was mostly, I mean, I, I used every single gun, and I kind of was play like basically possession and guns were my weapons of choice or my tools of destruction. So. I kind of didn't really experiment as much as I should have. And I don't, I think I only, I, at some point in the second half of this game, I was like, I'm going to just stop using possession only. I'm going to use whatever I have on the side. So I started experimenting and using shock some. I started using some of the, uh, the devil's kiss and, um, I finally got an interactable kill and that felt good. <laughs> complete accident but it felt good but yeah i agree with you as far as elizabeth because she does seem op especially when it comes to using her tear ability like you can basically just spam it on on all of the tear options that you have yeah it was always useful to have a secondary like person there to shoot you know with uh you could uh t- Tear in turrets or tear in uh, cover or rocket uh, rocket turret or machine gun turret, and that was just always useful because it was like I can't see any enemies, but that thing's going off, so somebody's around. And, like I know that. <laughs> um, I guess if 
I mean, that was really the only new or like gameplay thing that I noticed more in the second part because, like, like I said, it was combat was a little bit easier in the first part, so I didn't realize how useful she was as a teammate. Um, is there anything else that we need to touch on or re- revisit? Did you guys change your gear at all? Actually, uh, yeah, I, I did, but I don't. It did didn't. The most OP ability in the game, Blood Assault. So you're going to have to tell me what it is, man. Tell me what it is. Well, with Blood Assault, every now and then when you kill an enemy, you get salt instantly. Oh, wow. And it pretty much, like, I don't want to say trivializes picking up stuff, but it makes it a lot less stressful. No, I, I don't think I saw that one. There was there was one that I did, and uh, I don't know what it was called, but anytime I picked up a healing item, I became invincible for like that a couple of seconds. Too. So like my health bar, like it had a freezing animation. So my health and shield, it had like I, like icicles uh, on it, and then when they would break, then I could take damage again. Um, but like it. The way I played, because I didn't, you know, pick up health or anything loot uh, until after I killed everybody, it was kind of like, did I really need to equip this? Because it wouldn't really matter. And then there was another one that I picked up that was like, for every enemy you kill, your gun does more damage, X amount of percent more damage. Yeah, that's the one that I am using. And I, I didn't equip it, but I was like... That sounds real good. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess like as far as vigors, uh, by the end you had eight, and like I think the only new one that got added in the second part, we pretty much covered all of them in the first part. But the only one that got added was the shield ability that we kind of talked about a little bit earlier, where you could hold up your arm and absorb damage, and then uh, you could basically reflect all the damage back uh, at a single target. Or you could just set up a shield uh, and that you didn't hold, and it would just soak up damage for X amount of time or whatever. Got undertow as well. Uh, at the very end of the yeah, got that at the very end of the first part because I, I started using that one. Oh, I thought that was first. the charge one. No, we got that. It was the water undertow right before it. Oh, okay. Yeah, actually, somebody said I, I read somewhere that somebody with the charge one started playing the game like Paragon and Mass Effect, so they would just <laughs> like charge at people with the the ability, then just shotgun them to the face. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, any any other gameplay things, or should we start diving into the story? Okay, we'll dive into the story. All right, so. Uh, after, I guess, as Dante said, Bloody Mary comes back, um, I think your airship gets attacked by the Songbird, and it crash lands at the uh, Port Prosperity, and this is where you meet uh, these characters. These are re- two reoccurring characters, and they're they're very mysterious Um it's a it's a male and a female. You, like I said, they've popped up a couple times, but they seem like just not important characters. But they have some type something the, the test twins. But at this point, you don't know who they are. The very beginning. No, no, no. At this point, you don't know who they are, though. Yes, you do. Are you sure? I'm pretty well. You 
you okay you might not know they're the it's like twins, well, but you after, identify them yeah, as the people that took you on the boat and they've shown up a couple times i actually okay i think their identity gets revealed a little bit after this part but i wasn't sure if they were the same people as on the boat at when i was playing this wait That's really interesting yeah yeah dude i did i had no idea I, I was like, are these the same people? Like they, because they have like this witty banter between the two of them. They're always like, kind of they finishing. Have a stick. Yeah, they 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 have uh, they they always finish each other's sentences, and it seems like there's always a running joke between them that only they're in on. Um, I guess that's the best way to describe them. Um, but at this isn't point, that isn't that all twins though? I don't know. I don't know any twins. Um, but at this point, I think, uh, they kind of explain, or at this point, uh, you're trying to figure out, like, what, I think they reveal how the songbird gets called, right? Because they're, they're sitting at a piano playing the notes and Elizabeth freaks out. Yeah. And, uh, I think at that point they kind of, like, let on that this is, uh, this is how he shows up or whatever, or this is what tri- uh, brings the songbird. And from then, I believe you... But he doesn't get summoned because you need a flute, isn't it? The what Whistler. Is it? It's the called whistler. the Whistler. Okay. It's like a special device to call him. But like you don't know this at the time, but anytime you hear these... like specific chords being played you're like oh he's coming he has to be coming um but uh yeah you you end up playing uh being at the port port prosperity and at this point you're just trying to figure out how to get to comstock comstock house you're trying to get to uh in in theory ground zero of all this and get to comstock and uh, there's like this is this is where some of the stuff that I liked about the first part of the game kind of falls apart. So at this point, you're fighting against and th- you're uh, you're fighting against the Vox Populi. They've t- they're revolting, or you know, um, so they're the enemies now. So you're fighting a bunch of minority characters. Um, honestly, for like no reason, in my opinion. And then on top of that, I feel like the world becomes less interesting when the, the, the Vox Populi, they've tagged and, uh, like basically, uh, put graffiti and just marked over a lot of the propaganda posters. And it just becomes like a little bit more crude they they leave notes like um, the founders will bleed, and things across uh, any type of propaganda posters with Comstock's face on it. A lot of the um, religious undertones that the heavy religious undertones that were um, in the first part of the game they kind of no longer exist at this point. There's no like super uber patriotic America first or Columbia first, excuse me. Um, stuff in this game is kind of like at this point you're fighting a lot of should i, I want to say generic enemies they just like 
I don't know why why you're, they're your enemies. And like the game kind of like puts the environment in the backseat, in my opinion. Now that you mentioned it, I didn't really think about it while playing it, but like there's a big jump in terms of just like the visuals of the game as far as like it's a lot darker and more grim for sure at that point in the story, I think. At least it looks like that to me, right? Yeah, I mean, like, the first part that we played, the first, and what we talked about in the first episode, the environments were so varied, and, like, like, Columbia was so, like, I feel like it was vibrant. There was a lot of color and life in that, in the environments we visit. And this one, like, I, if I'm going to be 100% honest, I don't remember any, any single spot in this except for the atrium like that's the only memorable like like you said everything is dark in this but everything is the same you even backtrack in this which is as kind of like a personal pet peeve for me like i i don't like backtracking if i in, in video games and you kind of revisit some of the same environments not like for a long time it's super brief so it's not like a big deal but it's just like that there's nothing memorable about, about this this place and I have to come back here. Like, I think that there's a very intentional shift that happens. Like literally the second that we stopped and started for this episode, when you see the Lutesses, there's this very dark background completely in contrast with everything we've seen up to this point. Um, Pretty much. This is where the whole Elizabeth arc of things starts taking place. So, there's a lot more portals, a lot more kind of spectral slash otherworldly things that become a part of this section. So I'd like to say that most of it's intentional. And I, as far as enemies go, don't you fight? Is it just a Fox Populi you're fighting, or do you fight Comstock's men as well? I mean, you fight some of Comstock's men, but that's like when you get closer to closer to his house. And then this very first section right after the revolution and uh, the you hopping into this universe where uh, the revolution was a success. Um, well, then at that point, didn't you just kill their leader? You just killed... Well, Who just told them to kill you? Yes, but like... The, I felt like everything was a big... Like from... When you kill Daisy on, it's a big misunderstanding. Like when you That's kill fair. when you kill Daisy, the reason why she doesn't like you are you Booker DeWitt are seen as like a uh, a martyr. You died for the cause. So in order to preserve your memory or honor your memory they have this revolution and that's why it's a success because you sacrificed yourself to get these weapons for them to have this revolution. When you show up, Daisy, she's like, Oh no, you're a ghost. You ain't real. And like, personally, she's a black character in the 1910s. And it almost makes it seem like she's too uneducated for this to work out in her head. So like she, it must be magic. So I have to kill this person. And that's like, cause you could like easily like 
explain like yo like no i'm the real deal like this happened this happened there's no talking it's just she just starts attacking you and like that that, that's like a disconnect for me right there and go ahead would you say that he's become somewhat of a false shepherd to the vox vox popula i yeah i guess but it's just like I, i there there's that disconnect for me and then just the the fact that like I, even even the second half of the game too, they they try to make it seem like the Vox Populi are just as bad as the people you fought in the first half. Where the people you fought in the first half of the game are hardcore racists. They're hardcore like anti everything. They're just like looking out for themselves. The Vox Populi, they're out here stealing to feed their families, and it's like. Nah, stealing is wrong. What you're doing is wrong. You're a bad person. You're a sinner. And it's like, bro, I'm like stealing to feed my family and you're out here like persecuting and oppressing people and stoning people and you're trying to say these two crimes are the same? That doesn't make any sense. Like, and so like it it, it makes it, it almost plays the both sides are evil. And it's like, I, I don't like that. And it, it, it rubs me the wrong way. It's like irrational was like, well, we want to bring in race, we want to bring in religion, but we don't want to rub anybody the wrong way, so we're not going to necessarily address it, but we're going to use it to prop up our game. So, like, they're 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 getting the benefit, like, because that that's the big draw for me in the first half. That was like the 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 setting and the the race stuff and the religious stuff was like that was my main pull in the first half. I I liked that part of the game, but the second half of the game. Um, it, it kind of just flushes all that down the toilet and like, you're just like supposed to just forget about all that. This is your new focus. And that was a big disconnect for me because there was no pull for me in the second part of the game. Like, I think Elizabeth is an interesting character and I was interested in finding out about her backstory, but the environment wasn't doing anything for me. There was no, like, the stuff that I was super interested in the first part of the game. Like, there was no payoff. It was just over. And I I have a problem with that. Yeah, I see what you mean. Like, as far as, like, that theme that they were following throughout the first half, they kind of get rid of it. Because I think the last kind of racial piece that they touch on is when you are going through port prosperity and you see all these people evacuating. If you notice, it's all the white people evacuating. Like yeah, all the yeah. all the black people are, are still there, either fighting or or still in Shantytown. So I think is that's kind of where they Columbia, or is it the white people like that were part of the revolution? It was it was citizens because I mean they were dressed in like their traditional garb or like the NPC garb. So like citizens of Columbia, not the quote unquote lower class right yeah 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 okay but i mean like if you think about so it there, at this there point there wouldn't be any black people evacuating in that situation i mean you're right but like if you think about it like everybody's gone like you don't see nothing not one police officer this the second half of the game is like basically you're fighting the vox populi you're fighting some patriots here and there. You're fighting some handymen and some of the, I guess, Comstock's troops and some other enemies that we'll talk about. Like, I agree with pretty much everything you're saying. 
I just think that that arc of the story kind of closed with I, Daisy's yeah. death for the most part. But I, I guess exactly what you said, pretty much. That that yes, but the problem the problem is is like why am I fighting the Vox Populi besides the fact that they, like it, it's just just such a hard turn and it's like yes the the story clo- or that part of the game closes with um Daisy's death but like why are the Vox Populi so bad when they're in charge besides the fact that they want to kill me like why why is that a bad thing because it like the way they the game plays it out is like. It literally says something along the lines of they're so much better than uh, Comstock's men. And it's like, how? Like, these people were being oppressed and, like, downtrodden and all this stuff. And they finally, like, they're revolted. Like, they're, they're having a revolution. They're, you know, they're out here rioting. Like, what you mean? Like, <laughs> this is like, you know, they're getting this off their chest. Well, I'd I'd hate to use this as a crutch. But remember, Elizabeth is using these tears and altering reality. So some things I have changed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was but I mean, like, like um, different, different input, same result, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, yeah, you're you're right. But it it just was like, man, like the main, the main part of the game that I, the 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 main stuff that I was in this game for, the stuff that had my attention, there was none of that in the second half of the game, and that was just kind of a bummer. And, um, yeah, that's understandable. And, also, yeah. I'd like to um, suggest that you, well, you don't even have to play it, but maybe read up on the DLCs just to. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to probably try to play it. Uh, like but, it's, not, yeah. it's not a validation of what Daisy did, but it's a alternate explanation. Gotcha, gotcha. At best. Um, and then I guess uh, I guess one other thing, and we can kind of get back into the story, and I'm uh, not necessarily sad about this, but um, one of the things I noticed was the voxophones and a lot of the, the information you got from the voxophones in the first half of the game were a lot of, like, secondary, not main characters, or even, like, these were characters you may never even see, and they kind of were, like, there to set the setting and like kind of build the the background behind like why Columbia is the way, the way it is and how people perceive it. And one of the things I noticed in the second half of this game was I feel like most of the voxophones were main characters and they were like s- delivering specific story beats. So I felt like they were way, way, way more important in the second half of the game than in the first half of the game. I think that was one of the big complaints that um, that people had about this game was the fact that you can miss a lot of important things in the story if you don't pick up or listen to the voxophones. And I, yeah, I, I could definitely see that with the second half of this game because, like, I, I think they were a little bit easier to find, or like they they strategically placed the ones that I think they absolutely wanted you to hear um, in good and areas, but I do feel like a, a couple of them were like, man, like if I didn't open this thing or check this thing out, if I wasn't so thorough, then I would have missed this completely. And a lot of it was like, in my opinion, crucial or key story beats in order to like better wrap your head around what was actually happening and what led the, you to the point you're at in the game. 
Okay. Anything? <laughs> uh, sorry for going off, but I, 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 that's how I felt. Um, so we, let me pull up this thing. So, um, the, how, how do you say their name? Lutuse? Lutuse or? Tess. Lutess? Lutess. Lutess twins basically explain to Booker and Elizabeth at the piano how to control the songbird. And at that point, they are, they set a course for the Comstock house in order to find Comstock. And like I said, everybody's evacuating the city as you're making your way to Emporia. Emporia. And, um, uh, you fight through some environments, uh, like you fight through a uh, train station or like their airlift, air, airship station, uh, Grand Central Station. And at that point, the songbird, he attacks you guys again. And Elizabeth makes Booker promise that she won't let Comstock take her back. And he kind of does. Big mistake, buddy. <laughs> and um, uh, you enter Emporia, which is basically like a it's like a neighborhood in uh, this area. It's made up of a lot of different areas. So they have like a financial district. There's Comstock, Comstock House. There's the Memorial Gardens. And um, uh, so you kind of have to fight your way through uh, while getting a lot of like story beats at the time. Um, so like one of the things that I found out is um, Lady Comstock, she had a uh, voxophone, and she kind of knew her husband was shady. She knew uh, Comstock was shady, like, uh, but she knew, also loved the guy. So she kind of uh, she kind of looked looked the other way to some of the shadiness, and um, I think there was another super interesting one that I saw. Um, I think this is, I think at this point is where you kind of find out that, oh, this, um, the, le, le, say their name again? Lutessies. Lutessies. So you kind of find out there, uh, uh, the main, the girl, her name is, uh, Rosalind. And, uh, she is basically the creator behind Columbia. She's the person that makes Columbia float. Float. Yeah, she's a, a physicist or whatever. So it was. She's the big scientist on the uh, on Columbia, and it's kind of funny too because um, I think there was an earlier part. Um, she's a female uh, physicist in the 1912s, and I think uh, there was an earlier part where a girl. Uh, said to her mother, a, a little girl said to her mother that she wanted to become a scientist, and her mom said, "No, that would be un- unbecoming of a lady." And so it was kind of like really interesting that uh, you know, and that was typical of the time. But then you have this character, uh, R- R- Rosalind, that uh, she is bucking that, <laughs> and she's the reason why they are where they are at. Um, but, uh, yeah, you reach the gates of the Comstock house and, um, Elizabeth, it, it, it requires like a, a touchpad or a fingerprint scan and the device re- greets her as her mother, but it won't let her through because it's not full. Like it, it's not fully uh, recognizing our fingerprints. It's like you, you have the same DNA or voice or what was it that something like that? 
but she didn't have her fingerprints. So you <laughs> decide, hey, we're going to go to the Memorial Gardens to her gravesite uh, and uh, basically chop, take her hand and use it. And it's at this point, uh, Comstock, he kind of like, he knew you guys were coming to see him. So he traps you in the, um, the is it a mausoleum or something like that? Yeah. The mausoleum. And he basically forces Elizabeth to use her powers to awaken her mother. And her mother becomes like a, a spectral, uh, a spirit. And, and this is like a big boss fight where she can raise you're at a you're at a cemetery, so there's a lot of graves around. So she can raise people from the dead, and they basically are an army. And what do you guys think about this fight? I'll start with you, Greg. Um, I don't know. I think this is kind of like I didn't like this fight in general. Um, only because for me, I guess it was kind of hard for me to tell if I was doing damage to. Uh, uh, if I was doing damage to uh, Lady Comstock, or at least I, there was a bunch of times where I felt like I wasn't, but and I just wasn't doing, maybe I just wasn't doing enough damage for it to really make a big difference. But um, I mean, it wasn't horrible, but it wasn't like one of my like you know favorite encounters. Trevor, yeah, I agree with Greg. There were times where it was difficult to tell whether or not you were doing damage to Lady Comstock because. She would, you know, fly around, of course, but she would kind of be further away from you than some of the other enemies. And I guess once I realized, or at least in my first playthrough, I realized you have to um, focus on Lady Comstock rather than the other enemies, the the Walking Dead or whatever you want to call them. And they give you a lot of shotguns on this level. Like, I preferred using the hand cannon to the shotguns. Um, but I kind of took that as a hint to to use them to my advantage. Dante? Yeah, so the first time I went through this game back in 2013, I remember getting stuck on this fight. So I came prepared, and I had one of those Patriot machine guns and pretty much ran through all of that ammo. There was another one you could summon in the corner of the room, another crank gun. Got that and pretty much finished the fight within two minutes, which compared to last time probably took me at least half an hour. So it wasn't that much of an issue. When you played the first time, did you play on hard or normal? Hard. Okay. Yeah, um, I kind of echo what you guys are saying. It was hard for me to tell when she was taking damage and I didn't realize, but she could just like keep getting an army and keep, you know, like they didn't stop. And um, so I think this was probably my, I didn't care for this fight. Uh, one, I had to move around, but there was no like sky rail to like to use. So I kind of felt like I was in a corner at all times. Um, but uh this is where I started. I know this is the first encounter that I realized, oh, I don't have a lot of ammo. I'm using a lot of ammo. And this is where I kind of switched up my play style and started using more of uh, my vigors. And I, I started trying to set down traps so that the the zombie army or whatever would run into them. 
her spirit army. But ultimately, I don't know. The, the fight was it was okay. But uh, after you defeat her, after you de- defeat Lady Comstock, she basically leaves a trail of footprints, and those are two tears you have to close. And as you are closing those tears, it gives you more background information on the Latuses. Did I say it right? Lutesses. <laughs> I was like, like straight up, I was just to say, I'm going to be ignorant and just call them the lettuces every time. Because <laughs> like, every time I wrote in my notes, when I started to write down their, their name, I almost like every time I was like, it's not lettuce, it's not lettuce, but it's lettuce, lettuce. Okay. So yeah, some of the, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if this is information between just the tears, but I, I wrote down some stuff that I found out. I think it was a combination of the tears and the box of phones. But um, this was a random, uh, I'm assuming these are box of phones, but uh, Comstock, you find out here at this point that Comstock is sterile. You don't know why, but you find out that he's sterile. So it kind of makes you, this is where you kind of start having doubt as like, so what is Elizabeth's relationship to Comstock? Um, this was like a random aside. I just thought it was like, whoa, this is crazy. Just a fact or whatever. But it was like 50% of the money earned on Columbia goes to Comstock as Tithe, uh, which is like, I don't know. It, it's not important to the story, but I thought it was interesting. <laughs> Um, Comstock had the uh, <clears throat> uh, Latessas killed so uh, I think some of the information you find out from the tears I think the first tear uh, you find out that there's more to Elizabeth Comstock and the Latessas than you think um, I believe the second one is when, uh, or is a foxophone, you find out that uh, Fink was ordered by Comstock to kill the Latessas. And I think it's the, uh, the last hair um, you find, you, you find in the bank. And this is, you end up, before you even listen to it, uh, or see it or whatever you want to call it, uh, activate it, you fight Lady Comstock again, and then immediately afterwards you find out that Lady Comstock is not Elizabeth's birth mother. So, uh, now you're like, okay, so if Lady Comstock isn't her mom, and if Comstock is sterile, what is her origins? And, um, how, how did you guys feel about, I mean, I'm going back to your first playthrough, if you can even think that far back, where, did you see where the game, uh, did you, who did you think, or what did you think was going on at this point? I think even playing it back then, I, like you can early, I wouldn't say how, how early on, but there's, there's a point where you can really tell there's like some weird stuff with like alternate universes and all this other stuff and time travel. And at this point in the game, I'm like super confused. Like I'm not really sure what to think. Like, you know, the test, and then, like I was, Oh, hold on. Go ahead. No, I just said, I think you're alone for the ride at some point. Yeah. 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 
and like I wasn't I was still trying to throughout the whole game, I'm still trying to figure out how the Lutessis come into everything because you know, they just kinda always seem to pop up at these weird times. They always make mention of like time and like all this spatial stuff. So, you know, still really confused. And even playing through it, you know, finishing it today, like I'm still kinda, you know, not really sure what to make make of the you know, ending and stuff. Yeah, like I guess uh for me like Dante said, I was just along for the ride at a certain part. Like I, I'm going to be, a. I wasn't necessarily in it for this, this part of the story. Like I was just kind of like, man, these, I, I'm not here for this, but I want to see this, this out. And I know they're going to, what I believe is going to be happening or what the, the truth is, is going to be so much further from what actually is. So I'm just not even going to think about what's going on. <laughs> so my understanding of the Lutes twins was that there was Rosalind Lutes, and then she actually, when she discovered the tears, she pulled in her brother from an alternate universe. I think you're a little too far along, bro. Isn't that something <laughs> you discover? Uh... It is something you discover, but I also think even that's a little bit off. No. Oh, all right. Okay. I, I guess we can talk about it now. I'm not sure if this is at this part or not, but uh, what from what I gather, and I, I did some reading, so it's Rosalind Lutes and Robert Lutes. And they're both physicists. Rosalind is the one that is attributed with finding or figuring out how to make Columbia floating city in the sky. And the way she gets in contact with her brother is that she's messing around with Morse code. A little, and she, I think it's, she finds out about tears and then she realized if I'm here, there must be other universes, uh, other universes of me elsewhere. So she starts using Morse code to try to get in contact with a doppelganger, another, an alternate universe version of herself. And uh, that's where she gets in contact with Robert, which is that universe's version of her. It's basically identical to her, except for that it's a male. And then she and him figure out a way to open the tear between their universes so that he can get into her universe. So it no longer becomes just one of this character in the universe. There's two represented by the male and the female, which is also kind of explains why they show up throughout the story and they kind of, you talk to them, you talk to them, you look away, you look back, they're disappeared. And it's kind of like, Oh, they're jumping between. I mean, you know, they're, they're jumping between tears at this point. And it also kind of explains why, <clears throat> Fink has them killed, but I think, uh, I believe the story is, is that they, before they're supposed to die, they hop into a tear and dip out. And, and the theory is, or whatever, is that they hopped into the tear to talk to Booker in the beginning. And that's, they took them on the canoe ride at the very beginning to take them to the lighthouse to take them to Columbia. I always got the perception that they don't really exist, exist. 
Hey, they're they're like all seeing all knowing type figures, but I think they like they're not aging or anything at this point. They are literally between all realities or something. Yeah, 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 and and yeah, yeah, and so like there's no if they if they die in their universe, it's not that big of a deal, honestly, because there is infinite amount of them in other universes that would still have the same ability to go between tears. So even if you see one, it, it may not even be the one from your universe. It could be one from a different universe. Okay. It's yeah. Yeah. We're, we're, we're going to get there guys. We're going to get there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, you, I think at this point, um, I think as soon as you fight Lady Comstock at the last tear, you go back to the Comstock house and you fight her again. And after beating her, the gate to Comstock house is blown open. And uh, after going through the gate, you end up getting attacked by the songbird and Elizabeth gets snatched. And she kind of, uh, she gets herself up for you. Like the the, the, uh, songbird was about to kill you. And she kind of, got in the way and uh, basically said, take me, you know, leave him, take me. Uh, So she kind of sacrifices herself for you. And then uh, you kind of get... Is this before or after you had to find the three tears? Sorry. This is after the three tears. Okay. And you fight Comstock again, right? Lady Comstock? Yeah, you fight her three times. You fight her in the the cemetery or memorial garden. You fight her at the last tear. Then you fight her right outside of Comstock House. And that's when Elizabeth, like, kind of makes peace with her. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. I didn't say that. So this is this is where at, uh, that, that third time after you defy, uh, defeat Lady Comstock, Elizabeth kind of makes peace. She realizes that the person that she's fighting is a pent up like her idea of what her mother was like and not necessarily the real person. Something like that, right? And they're both yeah. being used by Comstock essentially. Basically. Uh it's it's some weird anime stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and um so yeah, uh you defeat her, the gaze gets blown up, and you are heading to along the bridge to Comstock House and like I said you get attacked by Songbird, Elizabeth sacrifices herself and you get snatched or she gets snatched so <clears throat> when you're going across the bridge to catch up with Songbird some like the, 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 the screen does like a weird visual effect and so like you're running you're running it's a snow covered bridge and then like you're screen gets blinded in white light and then you come to the other side and it's like a different time of day. And, uh, I think at this point you're like, what the heck? Like your character like audibly says like what's going on or whatever. And, um, I think you are at, uh, the atrium at this point. And, um, the atrium is basically like an insane asylum, right? what it seems like. And um, they have these characters. This is where you... This is 
this is to me the most memorable part of uh memorable meaning like the setting and the environment kind of stuck with me the most on this entire second part. Uh, we kind of said everything at this part was dark, but when you're at this place, the uh, insane asylum or the atrium, there is just a lot of creepy lighting uh, stuff that they're doing, that the, the, the game is doing, and weird sounds. Uh, there's these creepy enemies that they're only in this section of the game. The Boys of Silence? The boys of well, yeah, yeah. So there's two. There's there's the mannequins and the boys of silence. So the mannequins are these characters that um, they kind of just are around. They're not. They don't attack you or anything. They're like beating themselves up. They're crying in the corners. They're shaking uncontrollably or whatever. And they all have like these. Oh, oh my God! This is all making sense now. Oh, they're being affected by the the tears, the death things. Like, do you yeah. remember how in the freaking um, what's his name, Lynn? In the, the one yeah, that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You're right. How you're everybody right. you meet towards him, like the ones that you kill, they're all in between realities or whatever. Like, yeah, that. yeah. That's what's going on. Oh my god! Yeah. So these guys are basically you can't touch them or or interact with them, they don't attack you or anything. And they're they're just super creepy. But there's an enemy in every room called a boy of silence. Boys of silence is their enemy type. And there are these dudes that kind of stand in one spot and they have this huge like metal helmet with large earpieces and like a light on it. And basically they just are surveillance uh, for the entire room. So wherever the light is shined, like if they see you move or you there, then they're going to sound an alarm and all those mannequins, those guys are going to basically hop into your reality and just jack you up. And <laughs> so, I, so something I read about that is the boys of silence at some point, I didn't know if it was in a voxophone or written somewhere. But they're also referred to as the children of Elizabeth. And so they have some of her power where they can tear the enemies into your existence. Yeah. Is basically what's yeah, happening. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Hmm. But, um, yeah, they, as soon as they sound the alarm, they... They don't even attack you. They dip out, but they sound the alarm and all those mannequins. And there's usually like eight to 10 in a room. They just jump you. And those dudes are vicious. It's like, I, and they're like, tell if you're doing damage to them. Too. Exactly. They, they're like one of the harder enemies to take out because, uh, like, like I, the, the crow murder of crows, it never, it doesn't do any damage to them. I was like always low on ammo at this part already. Cause there's no guns or anything in this environment. So, I mean, I, I was a couple of times, like, uh, I was hit, like a hit or two away from death <laughs> fighting these guys. Um, so I was doing my best to try to avoid them after those first two encounters because I was like, yo, these dudes are tough. But just the the environment itself, not only are you in an – I mean, you're in an uh, atrium and saying asylum. These guys are acting uh, – 
in ways, you know, they're crying to themselves or making noises, but they're like, they're acting kind of crazy. The lighting in this atmosphere or this environment is so like spooky. There's like a room you walk in and you like a wheelchair just rolls up to you. With and it just head on it? Yeah, it just has a Benjamin Franklin like head on it. And it was like, what the heck is that? And like, and like, and even the signage in this place, like, Every sign is where we sleep, where we shower, where we play. And it's just super creepy. They have like, they have a, a literal furnace, a crematory in the place where they have bodies zipped up in like body bags ready to be cremated. And it's just like, there's no other. Like, where is this in the rest of the second part of this game, man? This environment is so creepy, and it's so, like, I, like when I played this part, I was like, this is how I felt when I played Bioshock 1 and why I stopped playing. <laughs> I was like, waiting for you to say that. <laughs> this is how I felt. Like, I was so uncomfortable and just creeped out. And I even did a little bit of reading, and, like, a lot of people pointed to this as being, like, when this I think what we about- wanted. Yeah, when I think of Bioshock 1 and 2, this is the closest uh, approximation of that in this in this game to Bioshock 1 and 2. A lot of the environments are completely different because, like, the first half is very bright, cheery, and then the second part is dark, but it doesn't have the atmosphere that this environment has. Um, what did you guys think about the atrium? Because, like I said, this, this is my, like, Hall of Heroes and the atrium are the two best spots in this game for me. And uh, I, yeah, like, like I said, like this part was super creepy and, and Marcus of <laughs> five, six years ago, I would have power off. <laughs> there was, um, there was actually like a jump scare part for me. Like, I don't know if it happened to anybody else, but and I forget the exact sequence that led up to it, but you open up some door. And as soon as you turn around, like there's a uh, the boys of silence like are he's oh, like right yeah. behind. so it, and it could have been because I had my headphones up and I, and like as soon as I turned around like I literally jumped like and I don't I mean I don't never really like affected by stuff like that in games but like I was like oh shit hey hey um Marcus yeah your boy Trevor was thinking about you <laughs> he said he's like should we warn Marcus about this. I replied, <laughs> heck no. Like, this is uh, <laughs> hey, man. Yeah, that, I, I, yeah, you're right. I jumped, man. I jumped. Like, I was like, oh, you know, like, yeah. But, like, I, I thought this part was awesome, though. Like, yeah, it, it was creepy and, like, it made me uncomfortable. But, like, that's what I expected when I played by, like, when you do a dark environment in my experience in, in the Bioshock game and the hour that I put into the game, this is what it should be like. So like everything else, like, and granted it's a different city, different environment, different games. So like they all can't be the same. And I get that. But like, this was like, this is, this is how I felt when I played the first game and it was cool. Um, but uh, I, I guess also kind of going a little bit back uh, throughout this entire atrium, you're finding foxophones of and you're you're running into tears and these tears are kind of playing out uh elizabeth basically got taken to this uh, atrium to be experimented on so 
you end up finding out, like, you're thinking, like, I mean, this is literally, like, I mean, game time-wise, it's 10, 15 minutes since she's been taken, but you're finding out, like, they're they're breaking her, and it's been six months since she's seen you. So they're, they're like, she's getting uh, interrogated and pseudo-tortured, it seems like put through a lot of pain and suffering and they're like, do you still think that guys or Booker or the, the, the false shepherd, I forgot how they, uh, how they call what they call you. Um, uh, oh, not to, not to like try and derail this. Did we miss the, the conversation where like you meet like old Elizabeth? It, did that's that coming already up. happen? That's coming up. Oh, yeah. never mind. Okay. All right. My bad. I'm sorry. All right. Yeah. But you, you kind of find out, you know, like, your perception of time, and this is, I think this is, for me, this is when the time travel stuff kind of clicked a little bit better for me, where it was like, okay, so what I'm perceiving has been 15 minutes or whatever, it's like six months, so she's in a different spot, or like, I think, um, I think what Trevor had said is when you're going across the bridge, you don't realize that you have, um, stepped into an alternate reality and you're like six months ahead or something like that. So as this, as you're getting deeper and deeper in Atrium, you're finding out that she's getting broken and starting to see the ways of Comstock and kind of agree with his ideology. But at the, um, I think it's at the very end. Uh, oh, and yeah, there was also, there was a, a, a voxophone that was pretty interesting where it was Comstock talking to, um, uh, talking to Elizabeth, and he says, like, there, there's two problems with you, and I forgot what he said the first one was, but it was something along the lines of, like, him dealing with you, but the second part was, you believe in hope. Hope is an affliction, and basically, time rots everything, even hope. So he was basically like, I mean, you can be young and naive all you want, but sooner or later, you're going to see my way. So there's, you know, Basically, we're, we're going to be here and break you until you do. And then I think it's at this point you get to the... So you go to the from um, the atrium to the warden's office. You make your way to the warden's office. And then from there, you uh, that's where you see that foxophone. And that's where we have that jump scare that me and Greg were talking about with the, uh, the um, boy, boy of silence. But then you get to the operating theater, and this is where you actually see um, <clears throat> you see Elizabeth, and you have to. She's being uh, held up by. No, no, wait. no, no, no. You you meet old Elizabeth at this point, right? Yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. You go down the elevator. You um you walk up a flight of stairs, and she's like, "Grab my hand, grab her yeah. hand." And then once she pulls you up, you realize she's old. She's old. And, and you're yeah, overlooking she... the city of Columbia a couple years. Well, I guess about 50 years. No, 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 no. Uh, you're overlooking. Uh, it's, it's 1984 and you're in New York City. Uh, and it's, uh, what is the quote? You see this quote happen a couple times. And it's the, the seed of the prophet shall shit. Ah, the seed of the prophet shall sit the throne and drown in the flame the mountains of man. And basically that's a prophecy that Comstock had predicted and this is it playing out where basically 
uh, uh, Elizabeth is the person in charge now. She's old. It's 1984, so it's a good 72 years later. So actually, she's Was like 90. Boxophone or that, that that quote? No, like the 1984 stuff. How did you figure that out? Oh, um, if you look at so if you look at the um uh the city. Um, it has a little, uh, uh, a thing on it that says, uh, the year and, um, like there's like a stock exchange stuff. So you see it's in New York city and yeah, there, there's some like context clues of the year and the time. Um, and they actually mention it. They mentioned that year two different places. Uh, um, but, uh, yeah, basically Columbia is destroying New York city. Um, so it's fulfilling the prophecy that Comstock had predicted. And like this version, the old version uh, or future Elizabeth, she's, she feels bad because even though she's fulfilling this prophecy, she's not strong enough herself to prevent it from happening. So she's like trying to tell you no matter what you do, you know, she's just basically trying to, pep you up and basically say like I need you to stop this from happening and uh, give this note and she hands you a note give this to me in your world and she'll know what to do with it it seemed like she was implying that she and Booker had basically tried everything like they had gone through a bunch of alternate timelines and it still kept happening to where it got to that point I think yeah I think so um yeah. And then uh so she gives she gives you the note and then at this point then you get to the operating place and this is where you uh save Elizabeth and she's super ha- happy and you give her the note and uh, she doesn't understand what it is. <clears throat> she doesn't understand what it is, but she will it, it ends up being a note to teach Elizabeth or tell her how to control the songbird is what the note is. And then from here, you're like, all right, she's, she's determined. Cause I think that doesn't he tell her what he saw in the future or does he tell her I saw us in the future and it's not pretty or blah, blah, blah. So she's like, she vows. She's like, I'm, she wants to kill Comstock after you save her. She's like, he's got to go. And, um, so at this point, you are basically just trying to get to Comstock. I think his ship is called the Hand of the Prophet. And at this point, it's one long level where you're you're progressively getting uh, the. It's like a the airship is multiple stages, multiple decks, multiple levels. So you're basically fighting your way up each level. And I think you got to get to like the fourth level. And the fourth level is where you. Well, before that, there's a gunship battle that leads up to the the hand of the prophet. Oh well, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, isn't that the fourth level, right? This is a gunship battle. It's well. No. Are you talking about where you have to hop across the, or you have to fight the other little gunships like heading up that way? Yeah. Kind of have to board the other one. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. <clears throat> yeah. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. I'm jumping a little too far ahead. Yeah. So um, 
in order to get to the hand of the prophet ship, which is already in the air, you take a gunship and you basically ride it up to his ship. And during this time, it's like a vehicle. It's honestly a vehicle sequence where there are turrets and gunships that are attacking you, and you can hop from gunship to gunship with your sky uh, sky hook and basically board them, kill the guys on the ship, jump off. It's it's super fun. Uh, how did you guys feel about this? I, it almost like it's just stupid, but it kind of made me think about the, the uh, Bonnet Commando part. Not and like this was way more fun than the Bonnet Commando ending part, but just how you were jumping from ship to ship um, to get to the, your final location. I was actually going to ask you how you felt about uh, <laughs> that scene versus the one from. Oh, uh, this this was way this is way cooler. This was way cooler. Um, yeah, but I, like, I mean, it it, it was like the. It wasn't even the fact that the 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 gunplay or like the actual fighting is was cool. It was just like a such unique. It's like a change of scenery and just how battles are done. Because normally when you're using your skyhook, you're going around a predetermined, you know, like on rails, you know, and you're going a set path. Where this was kind of like, okay, I'm gonna jump here, kill these guys, and then I can just jump back here. And I don't know, it was way more fun to me. What do you think, Trevor? So I've fought the um the enemy straight up like for the first two ships but then after that I realized what am I doing I have undertow so I basically just knocked the enemies off the rest of the ships wow I didn't even think about that <laughs> What about you Greg Um I liked it um most of what I was doing was just I mean at this point I got 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 in the groove of like you know uh, just shock people and then just try and one shot them as quick as possible. So, uh, but I liked being able to hop around from ship to ship. Um, I kind of wish there was, you know, more kind of, I guess it's not like aerial combat as much. Oh, I guess it kind of is, but I kind of wish there were more sequences where you could do stuff like that. Cause even though there was a few rail sequences, um, and there's a few other times where you're out in, you know, kind of open areas and there are gunships, but, um, I don't know. I kind of liked it here a little bit more. Dante? Uh, I don't know. I actually think I preferred the Bionic Commando. Um, <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even joking, though. Like, this one didn't really do too much for me. The The blimps that you're on, they were blimps, right? Airship, gunship, something like that. Whatever you want to say. Whatever they were. They were kind of narrow, so it didn't really feel like you had that much space to move. And everything kind of felt claustrophobic for what they wanted you to do. So I would have preferred the Bionic Commando approach and pretty much just, hey, this might as well be a cutscene and let me do some cool stuff in between. I gotcha, I gotcha. My only gripe is that once you jump onto another ship, you can't, like, take control of it. Like, if you stay on it too long, you'll end up dying. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Or if you jump on it too late, um, you'll just fall straight through it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so the, 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 the gunship ultimately takes you to the Hand of the Prophet. And this, 
is uh, this is what I was referring to earlier. This is where you fight on multiple levels and you have to get to like the fourth in order to get to Comstock. And um, dude is holed up in his command deck and uh, he's see, like you open the, the, the door to get to him and he's standing in a like there's stained glass windows everywhere around him. He's standing by like a fountain and uh, he's like, come my child. And he's talking specifically to Elizabeth and he kind of like, he's talking to her and kind of soothing her and everything. And he doesn't seem like the big bad guy that you're led to believe that he actually is. And then um, I don't even remember. Wait, have we, have we talked about how Comstock's dying? Uh, it got brought up. In a box. We said he's sterile. Okay, okay. Um, this is this is the problem with the boxophones at this part, man. Because like, I may not have even seen that one. So go ahead and take the lead, bro. Yeah. So he is terminally ill. I forget what exactly he has, but he doesn't have much longer, if I recall. Don't know if it goes into much more detail than that. Does it say why? The only, I do remember them saying something about the uh, what what is it called this the the cipher is that what it's called um, right before right before you um get into the room with him there is a device that uh, Elizabeth immediately recognizes as a device that was in the tower and she realizes that it was sucking her power and like uh basically uh, siphoning some of her ability from her. Because she used to say that when she was younger, she had stronger abilities, uh, when, you know, before she was put in the tower. But when she got put in the tower and they started taking some of her abilities, she was no longer able to do some of the things that she used to be able to do. Well, I think it was not only was Comstock uh, being around tears making him sterile, him being around this device that was siphoning uh, Elizabeth's power, I think was causing him to age more rapidly. I know that okay. was the thing. Um, I got a little something. Okay. So according to um, the Bioshock Wikia, overuse of the Lutece's tear machine continued to de- deteriorate Comstock's body, giving him cancer and causing him to have the appearance of an old man. At the 38 years of age. So essentially, I think he's supposed to be literally parallel to our current Booker, the player's Booker, even though he looks super old. Oh, he's the same age as Booker? Yeah, it's literally a parallel. Okay. (laughs) So, um, he's, because of that device, he's got cancer, he's aged way more rapidly because, yeah, he's, he's this dude, he looks like like Moses, I guess, you know, he has a big big, big white beard, white slick back hair, he looks super old, but yeah, he's only supposed to be 38, so he knows his end is near, and uh, I don't remember what he says, he kind of, like, tells uh, Booker all off and he kind of is like, why don't you tell her how her hand is the way it is? And her, I think it's one of the fingers, her pinky or one of her hands is a little bit shorter than the others, and she has like a thimble on the end. And like, 
you as a character, as a player, and the character don't know what he's talking about. But like, it it pisses because he keeps yelling like a madman, and it pisses Booker off. So he kind of like grabs his head and slams it in the fountain, and ends up drowning him in the fountain and killing him. And uh, it was, uh, I think, uh, it's really weird because Elizabeth's reaction seems kind of like, "Why would? Why did you do that?" Even though she wanted to kill him. Did you guys feel that way? Trevor, did you feel that way? <clears throat> I don't think it was necessarily like she was kind of questioning your action, but it was more so like she was just shocked that you still went through it after, you know, him talking to you, him trying to explain or him trying to reason with you. I don't know. It it was like a weird reaction. Actually, now that you say that, that makes sense, and the way he kills him too. But I, I think at this that. point, Booker has come to a realization, and we'll probably touch on that for the, I guess the the end game. I know we're almost there now, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got anything you want to add, Trevor or Greg? I mean, uh, sorry, Dante, Greg. No, I think kind of. Kind of touched on it, I guess, what I thought about it. Yeah, I think it's mostly because of the rage he's showing and also the fact that Booker kind of cut him off mid-sentence when it started to become about him, that she kind of had that reaction. Got it, got it. <clears throat> also, so now, I'm into ask, did you notice the pinky thing before, before this? I did notice, but I, Booker... His explanation, I thought you were born that way. I was thinking the same thing. Or I was thinking, like, somebody had done it to her, but, like, I didn't know. I had no idea how. And yeah. it was kind of to kind of the same thing with the, the the mark of the shepherd or false shepherd. Like, I saw that, but I was like, I don't know what that means. They'll probably tell us. And I didn't think anything of it, you know? Mm-hmm. But, um, or I, I'm sorry, I knew it was important, but I didn't know how, is what I mean. But, uh, you kill Comstock, and you're basically like, okay, we need to get out of here. Um, so you get to the upper deck or the outer deck of the airship, and there are Vox attacking you, as well as Nor- uh, Vox gunships, as well as some of Comstock's remaining men and Patriots attacking you. And then it's at this point, uh, Elizabeth realizes how to control the songbird because it also attacks you. And she realized how to control it uh, when she relooks at that note. And then at this point, you basically fight waves of enemies and you can utilize the songbird to take out the airships and fight some of the enemies as well with you. Um, but it did uh, this fight. Um, I, I actually I forgot. I did die at this part too, so I died twice in this game. But uh, how did you guys feel about this fight? Like, I think at this point you have the quote unquote like your full arsenal at disposal. You're not at your disposal. Like you have Elizabeth throwing you whatever you need. Uh, being able to bring in. Uh, cover and gunships for or cover and uh, turrets for you. Um, you have the sky, uh, sky rail on, on the outside of this airship. And then you also have this, uh, this bird 
this songbird that you can use to attack enemies. How did you guys feel about this fight? Because uh, I guess at this point, like, I was kind of disappointed there was not a final final battle after killing Comstock. Then I realized, oh, this is the final battle. This uh, this part. So, how did you guys feel about this? I'll start with you, uh, Dante. Okay, like, kind of mixed on this fight. It's it's a very, very open-ended fight, so there's hundreds, thousands of ways you could probably tackle it if you wanted to. But I think the word you're looking for is infinite. Go ahead, though. <laughs> See, what infinite, like, what universe are we in right now that that joke lands? My Mary Sue, Bloody Mary doesn't. I'm just saying. Just saying. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The, I don't think this was a great final battle, per se. But having the ability to use Songbird alongside your current arsenal is a really nice twist. And they throw a lot of stuff at you. A lot of stuff you probably don't want to deal with in the like last hour of the game where it's kind of like, man, I just want to see the story at this point. But at the same time, people were wanting that like, final battle. So, I don't know. I kind of, I didn't really need it. But I understand why they put it there. Yeah, and that, what you just said, like, resonates with me so much because I usually do like a epic or like a at least a satisfactory final battle. Like a nice send-off. Right? But uh, one of the things the the reason I had died was because I was just like focused on taking out the Patriots and I didn't realize that they would just keep coming. And I didn't know that. So like um, there, there's a cooldown with the songbird when you sick it on something to attack. So I was having him attack the ground troops with me, and I didn't realize that I could sick him on the airships beside us in the Zeppelin. So like I, that's why I died the first time I died. And uh, no, actually, I'm I didn't even die. Uh, it was he died. Uh, songbird has a life bar, and his life bar got depleted, and it, I, uh, a message popped up that said. Um, you can't mission objective failed or whatever. You you let you let the songbird die, and uh, but like yeah, what you said it, it it was cool that we had like our this full arsenal at our disposal, but the fight itself was not really fun to me because it was just like an endless wave. You just basically had to kill very it's kind of like a horde mode. Now yeah, know. yeah, and you just had to kill very specific enemies. Or those basically the airships. That was really it. You just had to get to the final wave of enemies, kill the airship, and then you're good. And so it was kinda overall it was actually kinda lame to me. I I, I don't know, like I the boss fights in this game weren't that fun to me. And this was like probably my least favorite one. If not this one, then maybe the Lady Comstock one, but these two were like it was a shame because it was like, man, there's, oh, oh my, yeah, I was expecting a final fight, fight against Comstock. You don't get that. I'm expecting, I'm expecting a final fight against a Songbird. You don't get that, and it's like, what the heck? Go ahead, Greg. <laughs> Tell so, me how you felt. <laughs> so was I? I was the only person that liked it. I mean, we haven't asked Trevor yet. Uh, so. Well, so 
the first time I played the game, like, I don't even remember exactly how, but I definitely died at that fight, like, at least three or four times. But this time around, I don't know if it was because I had that power up that gives you, uh, you know, a damage boost every time you get a kill. But I was kind of tearing through enemies, so it didn't really happen very often. Um, I actually didn't die this time even on that fight, but I kind of liked it. It was it was a little annoying sometimes trying to uh, navigate through everything to try and find some cover to not get shot at. Um, but felt like Elizabeth was pretty good at always giving you salts when you're low, always had ammo. There was even times where she had uh, even given me like health packs when I needed it, but um, I kind of liked it. And then just the inclusion of Songbird was kind of cool that you could actually use him. So... Yeah, overall, I really, really liked it. Uh, last but not least, Trevor, how did you feel about it? Um, well, the one word I heard from Greg that I agree with was annoying. Um, <laughs> the AI, for some reason, felt like it wasn't like something was wrong with the enemy AI. They just kept battle. shooting at you, right? No, they didn't even care about you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah. they were trying to, they were trying to shoot the um the generator oh, or whatever generator. it was. But the, I don't know, it was like some enemies would chase you down, but then as soon as they got close to the generator, they would take their attention off of you and then start shooting at it. And then the airships were constantly shooting at me for some reason. And it was just like, you can't get any cover from airships. And then also, I had trouble trying to get the songbird to attack. Because were you supposed to hold X? Yeah, I had an issue too where it was like I I would hold it to the point where it, like the, the color changed for where he was supposed to go, but he wouldn't go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we had a lot of the same issues. Yeah, it was just like technical issues with the, the fight that I had problems with. Especially yeah. for it being a, a final final battle too. Yeah, and like like the the Another a knock that I have is that the sky rail, in my opinion, like I like using the sky rail. So any fight that there is one, I try to use it. It didn't even really put you in a position where it was useful. Uh, I felt like the sky rail on this part was like most of your most of it was taking you away from where the enemies were going because, like, like Trevor said, like they would focus on you until they got to a certain spot and then. They would just run at the generator and like you literally like just I'm just shooting dudes in the back. They're not even turning around. And it's like this is kind of their objective is to take down a ship. That's why the ship has. I mean, I got that. But like, it's kind of the same issue that you kind of have with Bonnet Commando where they're not even really like there's an animation for them getting hit, but they're not reacting to like the, the, the immediate threat, you know, like they have a, a mission objective and apparently that is more important than them living or more important than them, like their survival or whatever. Cause like, I'm just shooting these dudes in the back. They're not even flinching or even turning around. And like, that was kind of like based off of all the fights that we had before this, it was just kind of like, Oh, this is kind of, this kind of weak. Because, like, even, like, you said what? I get what you're saying. Yeah, it was just kind of, like, it just made the this being the last fight kind of anticlimactic. Like, I thought Maybe it was super... The focus, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that kind of sucks. But, uh, 
After the song broke, go ahead. I do want to contest you on the worst boss fight. The last time you have to fight one of those handymen in that little, like, congested room, I had to die, like, five times against that dude. Was there a good strategy for, like, trying to stun them at all? Because I could never figure it out. I just kind of... Do you know which yep. one I'm talking about? It's the one with... I know which one you're talking about. You, you're automated turret right next to you. Yep, yep. Yeah. It's in the yeah. engineering room, I think. Yeah. Yep, yep. Like, I think that the strategy for stunning them, I think you have to, like, shoot them in their chest and in their heart, and they, they kind of, like, perk up, it seems like. But at that point, like... Oh, yeah, and this is another thing. So, like, when we were playing through this entire ship, I'm like, we're going to have some big... I'm going to fight, like... I'm fighting the songbird. That's what I'm thinking the entire time. I'm like, Comstock's too old. He's probably going to sick the songbird on me. So the entire time, my backup gun, my secondary gun is the RPG. The entire time, I'm using my main gun. I'm like, I'm saving all my rockets for the RPG for this songbird fight. And then I end up busting out the RPG for the handyman. But then once you find out that it's like, oh, I'm just fighting Patriots. These aren't even like bigger buffer, like stronger versions of any of the enemies that we fought before this. And it was just like, man. This sucks. I, it was on me though. I played it up in my head that it was going to be a better fight than it actually was. But yeah, that that handyman fight is kind of tough just because it's a super cramped space and him getting around is trivial. So he's always in your face. Um, Any of uh, go for that achievement to kill a handyman by only shooting him in the heart? Nah, <laughs> nah. <laughs> Like those dudes, may, as soon as I see those guys, I panic because they're like super strong. So I'm just trying to do as much damage um, and run away from them. Yeah, but, I, uh, I don't know if it's a byproduct of hard. I don't know how it was on normal, but all of the bosses just seem to have too much health. I think the only time I noticed that was Handyman and the Siren. But I guess that's like all the boss fights, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, I think I think it was the same in this. Yeah. I think it was mostly, too, because a lot of the vigors that I used were, like, not effective. Again, like, I just always seem to have, like, I'm going to use this one. Oh, this doesn't affect this person. Or, like, that happened a lot, so. Uh, it's not, like, a clear, like, elemental resistance or advantage that you have over enemies. Not that I'm aware of. Mm-mm. But, um... So uh, after you destroy the after you destroy the the Vox airships and uh, the rest of uh, Comstock's troops, uh, the Songbird uh, is give, you're given control of the Songbird by Alyssa Elizabeth. Uh, she gives you the um the Whistler, and you basically sick it on the tower that she was locked up in. So it completely destroys the tower, uh, but it goes out of control and it tries to basically attack you two. And before it does, Elizabeth opens a tear and I guess I'm going to let one of you guys take it away because I'm not familiar with this place. Welcome to rapture. Um, oh, man, there's a lot to unpack. All right. Well, let's see. So, she takes you to Rapture, which is, I guess this is. It's eight. the underwater city from the first two games. First game, yeah. 
Well, I, I don't go to lighthouses. I can help you out. <laughs> okay, yeah. So she takes you to Rapture, and like you're like, whoa, where the heck am I? And I guess you see some of the vending machines and like trash cans and stuff that you would deal with in Rapture in the original games, but they're like out of commission or not powered on or whatever. And uh, it's funny because he looks out the sit, he looks out the window of the building you're in, and he sees an underwater city. How like, what does he say? Like how ridiculous? Or yeah, how like ridiculous! This. It's like, bro, <laughs> you just came <laughs> from a floating city. But um, I don't know. Actually, like I'm gonna be 100 honest. At this part, I was like, yo, I'm ready to play some Bioshock One, some Bioshock Two, <laughs> like. I, that's how that's how I felt. I was like, man, this city looks super cool, and like, I I because I didn't get really far in it. I don't really remember like, I didn't see, I didn't ever see any of that stuff. So I remember how I first felt when I saw Columbia, and then this is like literally this is my first time seeing Rapture in that same way. And I was like, oh, this looks awesome. Uh, and so I was like, yo, I'm 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 gonna play one. I'm gonna play the first game. Uh, so little little side little side quest for me, but I, I was like, yo, this is tight, and um, I think uh, she's kind of walking you to something I forget, and then you see the songbird, he's on the outside of the uh, in the water, and she like suffocates him or something, makes him drown. Well, yeah, I think it's like the pressure. Or something. I don't think she does anything. I think he dives underwater and kind of does the bird thing where he runs into a window. And well, it was like he was choking too. Or was that why? Or I think he was trying to chase you guys, and so I guess that's why he got that far under. But I guess the air pressure was too much because like his eyeballs burst. Yeah. And uh, but like he also like have like purple blood or whatever come out of his body. Is and he supposed to be a machine? I think it's a, I thought it was a person because like he has like gloved hands. My understanding, and I could be wrong of it. I, I guess I got to look it up because I, I remember looking it up the first time I played it, but I wanted to say they're akin to the big daddies that they're people that are like, that this is their job. So it was actually a human in there, but. Not a hundred percent sure. I'd have to look it up now. Yeah, it's like what part of the evolutionary process is like the songbird, the handyman, the big daddy, like that that lineage, you know. I don't know. I don't so know. So now that we're here, um could it have been possible that this songbird led to the invention of Big Daddies? Like them finding this technology? Hmm. I want to say I remember reading that somewhere, like when I first played through the game. So I'm wondering to the wiki, just, I'm just going to read a sentence. I'm not going to read the entire thing. As with most of Fink's technology, it was based on designs discovered through a tear. So essentially it sounds like he saw like a progenitor Big Daddy and created his own thing. Question... So you're in the future, right? Like 1960s, right? Then Rapture? At that point, I uh, think so. 
okay, so what is a Big Daddy's purpose in Rapture? And so, like, if we're going off what Trevor just said, like, the songbird, as far as I know, is to keep, like, Elizabeth in check and all that. But what is a Big Daddy's purpose? Because isn't there more than one Big Daddy? The Big Daddies protect these girls. And are they little sisters? Yeah, little sisters. So, essentially, it's kind of the same purpose. He's a guardian. Little Sisters open tears too? They have what's called Eve, which is kind of what you use for vigors and magical stuff in that game. So, probably. Like, is there, like, I'm just trying to figure out if there's, like, a tie or through line. Like, obviously, these are all, these games, uh, the Bioshock franchise in the same universe. But I was wondering if there's, like, any other ties between... So what I'm saying is essentially like little sisters have the quote unquote magic of Bioshock one and two, whereas Elizabeth has the magic of the infinite. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. (sighs) Okay. Okay. So it was big daddies that led to the songbird because it says on the wiki that they experimented on animals and then they were able to successfully, um, don't you mean that the other way? So no, no. to Big Daddies? No. Cause it says they it says that Fink collaborated with Su Chong from Bioshock, the first game. I'm guessing through a tear or something. Sure, sure. And and then that's how they were able to create the songbird. And then they were able to get it to um kind of form a relationship with Elizabeth as its protector or as her protector. Yeah, I guess the big takeaway is Remember when Elizabeth opened that tear into like 1984 New York or whatever? Yeah. It's pretty much like that where time isn't really a linear thing. And I want to say she says she's been to Rapture before. Yeah, she definitely says it's familiar. All right. You got it from here, Dante? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you and Elizabeth end up on a pier somehow. And... Pretty much this is where the big plot dump of, hey, all of these stars in the world are doors to other universes. So you go through this really neat sequence where you're like walking along a pier and the pier's literally making itself as you walk onto it. And pretty much like you can branch between a couple different lighthouses, but they still ultimately take you back to the boat with the Lutessis at the very beginning of the game. Am I, am I thinking about this right? Yeah, and I just, just kind of want to say, too, is that every time you open up a door, a lighthouse door, the entire at, like the entire environment changes. So, like, you're, open, you're walking along a stone pier, and it's a stone lighthouse, and then you open the door, and then it's a wooden pier, and it's a like a you know older lighthouse. Then you open the door, and it's a different style like pier, different lighthouse. So it's like different periods in time as well as different realities. Exactly, and you also one thing that they do is as you expand, I guess throughout the lighthouses, you'll start seeing other portions of yourself walking like you and Elizabeth on the pier in different realities and stuff. So it kind of branches out into this, I don't know, 
bigger universe within itself. But anyway, you end up back on the boat at the very beginning of the game with the Lutesses. Walk up the um, same lighthouse as the beginning, right? Yep. And this time... Wait. I feel like I'm missing something. I think at this there's, point... There's I, something before the baptism. There's a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Pinky. At this point, you... Um, if I'm not mistaken... You open the door and then you find out, like, uh, you see the backstory with Elizabeth stuff. Because you kind of see, I think, what does the note say? Uh, the note is, give us the girl and wipe save, away the save debt. Save the, was it, bring us the girl, wipe away the debt? Yeah, give us the girl, wipe away the debt. So that's the note that's on the initial door of the lighthouse when you, in the beginning of the game, that note is on the door every time in the lighthouse. And so in your head, you're thinking, oh, they want me, you know, as we said in the beginning, Booker DeWitt, he basically, he's he's tasked with finding Elizabeth, bringing her back to wipe away his debt. So that his goal in his head is to bring Elizabeth to New York. So then that way he can get rid of the debt he he got from gambling. Well, when you open up the door, you find out, like, I think Robert, the Lutestas take you back to his apartment, uh, Robert's apartment, or excuse me, DeWitt's apartment in New York. And you find out the actual story and, um, well, you're back an actual story. That's the, <laughs> this is all the weird yes. part of this game and actual story. And you find out, so you have a side room there that you've never been able to go in to before you go into the side room and you see a crib and you're like wait that wasn't there before and you look over and there's a girl like a little baby girl in the crib so you pick it up and then elizabeth says give the baby to uh the lutes so you, you hand it over to the lutes brother uh or the lutes man robert and um uh then he kind of explains like Give us the girl, wipe away the debt. And then, like, Booker is confused, so then they show him more. So uh, they exit, and then you follow behind them, and then you're in an alleyway, and uh, you realize that you see Comstock getting the girl from the Lutesses, and then him hopping into a tear, and then following behind him, and you're yelling, Anna, wait! And you're reaching out to try to grab the, the little girl's hand and the tear closes and it closes on her outstretched hand uh, and cuts off her pinky. Then you realize, oh, Elizabeth is Anna, uh, Anna DeWitt, which is Booker's infant daughter. And that basically blows your mind because uh, so that explains why her pinky's cut. Um it explains how Comst- the Comstocks had a kid despite, you know, uh, Comstock being sterile. And then you also realize, oh, like, I put this together, like, immediately, but, I mean, it kind of explained it later. It's like, that explains the AD, the branding that Booker has uh, on his um, his hand. It's a, like a, like, kind of like a punishment, like a penance. Uh, that he does, so he uh, engraves that into his skin, and so uh, they also kind of explains why Comstock, he, because he had been working with the Lutesses, he 
is basically a false prophet because he can kind of just pick and choose things and see it and then predict it. And he's a prophet. So he was able, the reason why he pinned you as a false shepherd is because, and he, he specifically said they have this branding on his hand and he chose the right hand, uh, the correct hand, excuse me, and the correct branding is because he could just, he knew that uh, at some point you were going to come to try to save your daughter. And he knew that you had this branding on you. So, uh, what, what else? Uh, oh, and then because, so the reason, um, because Elizabeth's, uh, AKA Anna's finger gets, uh, severed, it allows Elizabeth to exist in two realities at once. So this basically gives her the ability. This is what gives her the ability to create tears is because her body exists in two realities. So that kind of explains how she got her um, ability. And then, so now you have Booker in his realm and in Comstock in his. So in Comstock's realm, both the Lutesses are in the, uh, there with him and Robert, Eventually, he, like, I mean, 20 years later, I guess, he feels bad for Booker. And uh, so he uh, convinces Rosalind to help him bring Booker to Columbia to rescue Elizabeth. So I think, in my head, anyways, I don't know if they explained this, but when this is along the time that Fink goes to kill them, so when he goes to kill them, they dip out. And I feel like at this point, this is when they dip out to... Booker to basically tell him, hey, you have a, a de- you know, give us the girl, wipe away the debt. And this dude is so grief stricken and like out of it that he, in his mind, plays it up and thinks that, oh, they want me to find this person and deliver it, uh, the girl. And so that's why he thinks that he's on a like search and rescue mission. Uh, did, did I get everything? <laughs> Um, that sounded like a Japanese anime. Right, right. <laughs> oh, oh, and also, so, uh, and, and this entire time, too, while you're getting this realization, Elizabeth is with you the entire time. And then, so she explains that, um, uh, the only way to, uh, end this once and for all, because there's multiple universes, because it's like, He's like, why is this still happening? Comstock is dead. And it's like, he's dead in your universe, but not in this universe. And there's infinite universes. So the only way you can prevent him, <clears throat> prevent any of this from happening, in theory, is to kill him and in the womb, is what they what they say. Kill him in the womb. So, uh, so like, it's basically, the Lutesses have always tried to enlist a Booker from a different universe to end the cycle, but the result is always the same. So the only way to prevent it is from him being created in the first place. And then, so Elizabeth takes Booker to the place, and you got this from here, Dante. <laughs> okay, so you end up at the an area of baptism. I guess the wounded knee baptism is the correct location, correct? Yeah. And which branch is um, Comstock? Is he the one that gets baptized or the one that doesn't? He's the one that does get baptized. Okay, that's what I was thinking. So um, I guess it doesn't matter here because pretty much a horde of 
Elizabeths show up, literally like from every multiverse there is, and they drown you. Yeah, and like this, this, this plays out. You, you, you came to this point at one point, uh, another time, and um, earlier, earlier in her explanation, when she's showing you the lighthouses and stuff, you're you're here, and you see you're getting baptized in this very, it's 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 almost exactly the same as it was in the beginning of the game, where you have to get baptized before you go into Columbia. It's the same way, and then you kind of wake up, and then you're in Columbia. Here, like, the guy's about to dip you, and then you're like, you freak out, and you just push him out the way, push the, the circle that's around you out the way, and you run. <clears throat> well, uh, because um, because of this, you end up finding out, oh, so in the, the realities that Booker does this. Booker is that um, hero in that reality, or that person in that reality. And the realities where he gets baptized, he becomes Comstock. So you realize, oh, Booker is both Comstock and Booker. So um, that's uh, that kind of clicks to or uh, checks out because I mean, there's him being a different person, a different reality because the Lutesses, there's a male and a female and they're never in this, like they're from different realities. They're the same person in just different realities. So, and for Booker's uh, place or for in Booker's case, it's the non-baptized Booker is, or the non-baptized version is Booker. The baptized version is Comstock. He basically becomes Comstock after he gets baptized because his quote-unquote sins are washed away. And that's basically, he finds religion, becomes Comstock's, and never has kids. Um, so the the Comstock is aware of, aware of this alternate uh, fate of his because of his exposure to the Lutessa's, like technology, their tears and stuff. So that's why he always tries to prevent it from happening. Prevent a little. He that's why he puts Elizabeth in a tower. That's why the songbird is a thing and all that. And that's kind of um, it's clever when you think about it. At least in relation to the Lutes twins, essentially they're parallels of one another. And you don't really figure this out without the box films, but it's the same thing with Booker and Comstock, where they're the same age, they're the same person. I mean, yeah, they both were wounded. They both got, like, the only thing that I thought, like, as well, the only thing that I knew that was the same about them was they both battled a wounded knee, and they were both, you know, like, there. But you didn't know about this baptism that took place afterwards until the very end of the game. Um, Quick question. Was it was it Comstock or Lady Comstock that was uh, sterile? I couldn't remember. Comstock is sterile. Okay. Well, and I think that's yeah. from the tears. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but uh, yeah. So as Dante said, uh, you realize, oh, we have to nip this in the bud and kill Comstock before he can become Comstock. So a gang of uh, different uh, alternate reality or alternate universe Elizabeths they go to baptize you and they hold you underwater to drown you, and basically that prevents this baptismal choice from ever happening and basically prevents Comstock and Elizabeth from ever existing. Um, 
So then the game kind of pans out from uh, behind behind Elizabeth and basically viewing down on the baptism. And one by one, the Elizabeths disappear. And it's it's actually kind of cleverly done. Like they, they do a piano note. There's like five or six Elizabeths. And every piano note they hit, a Elizabeth disappears. And when it gets to the last one, the piano note plays. And then the screen fades to black. So you don't get to see... Um, you don't get to see if that Elizabeth goes away. And then I didn't know this until afterwards where I was reading, but you guys know there was a post-credit scene? No, no. Oh, yeah, I saw it. Okay, yeah. I, I, didn't, I didn't watch it, but I, I read about it. So in the post-credit scene, um, Marvel movie, you know, they did it, they did it when it was, you know, Wait, new. <laughs> okay. But uh, Booker, he basically awakens after, like, I mean, you got baptized, goes to credit scenes, he wakes up and he's in his apartment and he hears the baby in the next room and he calls out for Anna and then he opens the door to a room. But then this, I think you can walk up to the crib, but before you can see what's in the crib, the screen cuts to black. So yeah, uh, it, it, it's very, it's very interesting. Uh, overall, I, the time story, the time travel stuff and all that. I think it was way, way it was handled better than I thought it was going to be. Cause I was like super confused when we were doing the stuff with, um, Chin Lin and, uh, from the part one. And it was kind of confusing, uh, different parts in this, but I feel like because I was hearing these voxophones, the story made a little bit more sense. But if you weren't if you weren't finding voxophones, good luck because I feel like this would have been rough. How do you feel, Trevor? I still love this game, <laughs> <laughs> but the the one thing I didn't like in this game, I guess, is I didn't necessarily agree with the way they did the multiverse type thing I would have rather them have done more of like or I would have rather them shown like a different reality where this is like the cyberpunk futuristic um, world or version of Columbia or Rapture this is the, the wild wild west version you know rather than seeing like these just Elizabeth in different outfits yeah, I get what you're saying. Or like even, well, actually, I feel like kind of like the Lutesses, I feel like Elizabeth, like how she appeared was inconsequential. Because like I, at that point, she's like all powerful and she's always going to exist. So it didn't really matter how she looked or anything. It, it was kind of weird to me that she was always like the same looking compared to like... uh like, you know, Rosalind, she's a, a male in a different one. And even, like, you and Booker, like, Booker and Comstock are, like, vastly different. But every single Elizabeth was exactly the same. But it was just kind of like she is a higher, <laughs> like, she's ascended. She's ascended. She's all seeing at this point. So, like, I, I read an article, actually, by Austin Walker that kind of said that she doesn't even, she doesn't exist. She doesn't exist in the game. Like, it, like I think that's kind of like kind of what I alluded to earlier. Her not having a life, a life bar. Her not being able to take damage. She doesn't exist. <laughs> she 
she's like the all seeing eye. And like, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm like severely like paraphrasing what he said, but like it, it's, it was, it was an interesting read and it kind of made me think like, basically this entire story, she's trying to figure out what her purpose and what her, uh, destiny is. I don't even know. Like she, she, and I guess once she figures out, like she figures it out, she's kind of just leading you along for you to figure it out. And then once you realize, then you're like, uh, Oh, okay. Cause like there, there's a line at one point when you're going to find Comstock and she asks Booker, are you afraid of God? And she says, no, but I'm afraid of you. And she essentially is God. <laughs> and it's like, oh, like, I see what you guys did there. Like, and, you know, when you hear that, you're like, man, this is like, well, why are they saying this? But, like, in hindsight, it's like, oh, like, she's basically God in the in, the, in all universes, you know? Like, she can just go between and make things happen and bring things between, like, you know? So... And that, that's her ability. Unlike the Lutessas, which have to invent that technology, like she, she can just do it. Like I'd like to say that they had the insight and like overall intelligence to make a system that elaborate. But as a game player, I like to just say that they probably just know that everybody hates escort missions. I mean, you right. <laughs> you right, ultimately. I can't like, think of a single game like, that I've enjoyed where my partner, who was not a human being, had a health bar. And I had to worry about them dying. I think having to manage that in this game would have just been a pain. Oh, God. She's too naive, man. She would have got shot first encounter. <laughs> Who do those banging sound? Are they firecrackers? <laughs> like, all right. Um, so. Overall, I still, like I said, the reason why I picked this game was because I knew it was very, like, polarizing. And I know why I feel the way I feel. is because the, the first part of the game, I don't feel the payoff is earned for the stuff that I liked in this game. I felt like the it, it, the game kind of just stopped world building and all this to kind of push this part of the story on you. And I ultimately, I, I did like the in-game story and like how they wrapped it up. But like, why do you think this game, why do you think this game got the rap it got? Like, what about it? Like, because, and this is, might be ignorance from not having played the first two games. Um, but like, does it deserve the bad rap it gets? I'll start with you, Greg. Um, I don't know. I'm not too like familiar with like the complaints that people have with the game. So it's kind of hard for me to, I mean, if if you guys want to kind of let me know what, what some of the negative things you've heard about it. Well, I, I mean, like, I know like, Dante himself, like he said, like he feels the story of the first game is, I think he said, I think this is Dante and let me know if I'm wrong, but the story of the first game is the best story and the combat from the second game is the best combat. And I've heard a lot of uh, similar sentiments from some of the people that I've talked to in person. And I know like, just like the video game podcast that I listen to, 
some of those guys kind of like have a oh well Bioshock Infinite like we overlooked that one or like they that they played it when it came out but like I just don't think like and I, and I don't know why I think like, in the press there's a big thing of like oh maybe we rated this game too highly when it came out or whatever but from fans it, like there is a little bit of a backlash but I still think it's mostly seen with positive views like as somebody who had kind of I guess had previously played it, like I don't know where I would I think I would probably rank it. I still think the first game is the best. I think mechanically I kind of feel like Bioshock Infinite is better because I feel like they cut out a lot of the the unnecessary things like from Bioshock, the like the original game, you don't have hacking anymore, you don't have the you know, the hacking mini games. So they kinda of took out and, and it's not like those things were necessary as far as like gameplay. I guess maybe they put it in as like, you know, world building maybe or something like that, but they weren't, I feel like Bioshock Infinite is like a way more leaner game as far as gameplay mechanics. Like they just kind of stick to shooting, you know, and you have, it's, it's the thing of you have shooting, you have your powers, and then you have the added benefit of like, you've got Elizabeth with you. Um, so I think as far as like gameplay, I think I prefer Bioshock Infinite over the other games, but I also can't remember a whole lot about Bioshock 2. I do remember people not liking that or not being as like kind of wild about it when, when that came out. But I mean, even that game, I kind of enjoyed. But I think if I had to kind of rank my experiences with them, I'd probably go like Bioshock as far as story, then Bioshock Infinite, then Bioshock 2. I, I, I'm I'm looking up um, and I just kind of did a cursory like Google search of, like Bioshock and uh, it seems like this is from like the fans and I, I feel and I kind of agree with some of these sentiments or at least one of them but um, it seemed like a lot of people were kind of comparing the games maybe unfairly that I don't know but they were kind of saying like uh, the powers seemed the powers or vigors in this game seemed like neutered or just like not as effective or engaging to use in this game versus Bioshock one. And part of that could just be fatigue. Like you played at this point, two Bioshock games before infinite came out and like they maybe you're just expecting to see something new. Um, but the, the main thing that stands out and this is what I agree with from my point of view, is like they talked up, the songbird throughout the entire game as being this big bad thing that like Elizabeth didn't want to deal with and all this. And the fact that there's not an encounter with the songbird is kind of disappointing. And I, I kind of can see that um, where, you know, like, like I can, I said to you guys earlier, when you get on that uh, last airship, I'm thinking, okay, I need to have an RPG with me because I'm going to fight the songbird. And then like, I can see that last encounter being a letdown, uh, that you don't actually get to have, like, a big, bad boss fight. Now, I don't think it's, like, bad enough to say, like, oh, this is a bad game or anything, but I'm just naming some of the things that people have been saying. And that complaint kind of goes along with what Dante said last time, too, um, as far as them pulling the bait and switch when they were um, presenting this game. Yeah, that, too. That, too. Elizabeth's powers were going to be more prominent 
I, yeah, and also I, I read that uh, she was supposed to be a silent uh, protagonist type character too. So, like in some ways, that I mean, obviously it's better that she, you know, speaks. But then I bet a lot of people too, when they saw like early footage of this game, they had a completely different perception of what this game was. And even something that we talked about last time, where like we had all this gear that ultimately I don't think the gear. Really? Like, we, I think maybe all of us had, like, one piece of equipment that, like, really was a game changer. But ultimately, I feel like the gear didn't matter that much. And then there's just a lot of gear suited to utilizing the Skyrail when ultimately, like, the Skyrail wasn't that big of a part of this game. Uh, I feel like there is a decent amount of gear that was pretty useful. Like by the I'm, end, I had something for each four slot, like each of the four slots that I really, really enjoyed having. I mean, sh- well, I guess maybe it's just the gear that I had, but like, like I had that health gear. Like I, I had, had a freeze thing that you did. Um, yeah, the blood assault. I had, I had a that did one point five damage for headshots, and I can't remember the fourth thing. I had something to make me move quicker. I had something that had me hold bullets, more bullets uh, or ammo. And then the other one was uh, when I drop a gun, uh, an ally appears for like six seconds. So like it, it's holding the gun I just had. And then, so like, that's kind of cool. But like, I didn't really use that like in battle because I didn't really switch my guns in battle until after I killed everybody. So, and that's just like specifically how I played, but I, I still like, I didn't get my quote-unquote good gear until, like, the last 90 minutes, hour of this game. So, like, ultimately, it didn't really affect how I played the game. Do you have any any uh, insight onto why this game is perceived the way it is? And actually, uh, Trevor said, but how do you two, uh, how do you feel about it? Like, uh, Greg also said, but how do you feel about this game in comparison to the other ones now that you've run through it a second time? Me? Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty much what I was saying before, just I think from the press side of things, there's been a little bit of a turning of, like I don't even want to say turning of opinions, but some seem to have said that maybe we overrated this game a little bit while um, we reviewed it initially. But from the fan side of things, I still think it's, mostly positive there is definitely a negative part of the community but even those people i don't think they think it's a bad game it just didn't live up to one what they wanted from a bioshock to some of their story expectations i guess i got you i guess the first two games kind of set up such a big uh (laughs) expectations i'm trying to think of another series that did it but Mass Effect, but... <laughs> no, I mean, even Mass Effect, it was all... All three of those are totally the same. Are you just talking about a game that kind of switched up? Yeah, it's it'd talk- almost be... Is Resident like Evil good? People perceive... Yeah, Resident Evil 5 is a good example. Like, probably 4 or 5, and then... Yeah, seven. I was about to say, even just 4 would probably, you know, you can go with that. Yeah. I get that, I get that. So, I, I guess... Ultimately, is this a 
good entry into the Bioshock for series? Like, does this stand with the other two games, or like, is it a notch below, or like, how do you guys feel? I mean, I, this is kind of asking the same question I asked you before, but like, I, I a lot of times when I talk to people, or not a lot of times when I, I've talked to a couple of people about this game when I was telling them we were doing this, and they were just they went on a rant. This is before I played it. They went on a rant about how this game isn't blah, 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 this is not a real Bioshock game or all that, which I think is kind of dumb. I think that's dumb. Uh, It it can be a Bioshock game and not necessarily be what you want it to be, but do you guys feel like this is a worthy addition to the Bioshock franchise? I'll start with you, Dante. Yeah, definitely. Like, If I was to rank them, really, it's almost a tie. I probably would put to an infinite to an infinite slightly above one which is probably the opposite of 99 percent of the population but so be it you trevor i don't know if i can necessarily rank them um because well one i didn't finish the second one so i don't think that'd be fair uh you don't have to necessarily rank them you can just kind of say like do you feel like it stands along with these as being like quote-unquote great games or whatever, like whatever, um, you know, you, you need to say about the Bioshock franchise. Yeah, I do. And the only bad part about that is with Infinite, you know, standing alongside one, especially, it seems like the story created or opened up this opportunity for like a bunch of other Bioshocks to come out. Whereas with Bioshock 1 and 2, you're confined to just one universe. It doesn't get opened up until you until the third game. And, and right. Like, this, <laughs> uh, and like, it kind of leaves you hoping, wishing for more too, right? Yeah, just to see like, like, man, where else see, they might be able to go. I want to see the 80s. Is it like Cyberpunk Bioshock? Are we, you know... <laughs> yeah, man. Why didn't we get our Bioshock Andromeda? Underground? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what about you, Greg? Um, yeah, I think it's a you know a worthy addition to the franchise. It 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 has a lot of the core things that kind of go through all the you know the Bioshock games, the the way combat and your powers kind of interact. Uh, having really strong like world building um, characters that are. I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to think. I, What's the the main protagonist in uh, Bioshock One? Is it? I guess not the protagonist, but the uh, Jack something, right? Paul Ryan or no? No, it's, Andrew it's, Ryan was like basically Andrew the main, stock of, of that. Guy. Yeah, but isn't it Jack something? Isn't his name Jack something? The main character. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't remember. But then in that game, he you don't, you don't really get a lot of his personality, right? Because uh, I'm I'm still trying to think back to those games. Not as much as Booker. No, what'd you say, Dante? I think they're silent protagonists in first two. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, no, I think it it has a lot of the the core things that you would expect out of a Bioshock game, and I think it has kind of a nice twist on it with the whole you know alternate reality thing. I know. It doesn't start out to be that, and you know I kind of understand where Mark's coming from, where he kind of expected it to go one way, but it 
completely diverts from that and goes a whole nother way. But uh, that was one of the things I did appreciate with it, just kind of the twist on the uh, the standard Bioshock, uh, you know, type of story, I think. Yeah, and I can just say for me, as this being my first real and my only hit real uh, entry point into this game, it's intrigued me enough despite, you know, like how I felt like the most impressive or not impressive, most interesting stuff in this game to me, there is not a payoff. Like all that stuff in the first part, to me, there's not a quality payoff. And I, the story, the main story in this game is like kind of secondary to me, which is kind of sad to say. And I really like the environment in this game and it kind of gets kind of a little bit more drab and boring in the second part. But ultimately, I think this is a good game, and it's. It, I'm intrigued, and I definitely plan on checking out the first one because uh, I'm like, after hearing what everybody said about this game in comparison to those two, w- whether good or bad, um, it's it's definitely like perked me up, and I'm like, oh well, I definitely need. I want to check out how it started and uh, see what that's like, and see what made people, you know love the franchise or, you know, and kind of either, hit, you know, talk the vitriol or like the, the accolades that they kind of put onto this infinite game. I'm interested to see like, where did it all start? So, uh, I'm interested right now, to see what you, how you feel about yeah, yeah. going back, like going in this order rather than, the, yeah. you know, the typical way that people did. Cause I'm like, already like, okay, I know the environment will be different and it's going to be a little bit more, not claustrophobic, but just tighter knit, you know? Well, I guess maybe claustrophobic is the word to say, but, you know, it's going to be a different experience. So I'm, I'm interested to, to. The story is more linear. Oh, that too. And then also like, uh, just the, 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 the world, because like, like I said, when I, First played it, I didn't really have a good sense of the original Bioshock world, besides it being creepy. But uh, after seeing the view of Rapture in Infinite, I was like, yo, that place looks tight. So I don't know if uh, you get many views of the overall world or if it's not, you know, not as cool as I have it played out in my head, but I'd be interested to see how is it different it, why, why people fell in love with the franchise in the first place. Um, do we have anything else for Bioshock Infinite? I'm going to take that as a no. Uh, did we get any fan submitted questions? No, I, I checked it earlier. Nope, no emails yet, but uh, you guys know the deal. If you, uh, you got any questions, concerns, or just want to join in the discussion of uh, you know, whatever game that we're playing for the uh, for the week, um, you can email us at misscheckpoints at gmail dot com, and uh, we'll answer your questions or uh, you know feature it on the show. So, um, yeah, that's it. Speaking of next game, our next game is Greg's game. Uh, it will be Syndicate, just regular ass Syndicate. So if you go to if you go to GameStop. Tell them you want Syndicate, not Assassin's Creed Syndicate, just regular ass Syndicate. And they'll have no clue what you're talking about. And they'll have no clue, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) 
And uh, I just, just, just out of curiosity, are me and Trevor the last two people to pick up the game? I still haven't gotten it yet. I think I yeah. first. Yeah, I, 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 I own it. Got it. Oh, I got to, I got to dig out my copy, but yeah, I own it. So I'm the only one that don't got it right now. Ty? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try to pick it up this weekend, so I'm not worried about it. But um, yeah, so that's gonna be Greg's game, and that's gonna be our first game of the new year, uh, 2018. So uh, yeah, be sure to check us out. Um, and you can check us out or hear our thoughts uh, at facebook.com slash Miss Checkpoints. And like as Greg said earlier, if you've got any questions for us, Miss Checkpoints at gmail.com. Greg, where, pe- where can people find you at? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at Boombox Hero, on Twitter under the same name, Boombox Hero. And on Twitch at twitch.tv slash XDRD Magnegro X. Trevor, where can people find you at? You can find me through another door on a lighthouse somewhere. Um, find me on Twitter. Hey, I'm here to pop you up. <laughs> I'm down for this reality. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter at Lyric Unsung. Yeah. Where can people find you at Dante? I'm Commander Shepard, and I approve this message. Yo, I respect that. I respect that. See, I'm just going to leave him with that this week. All right, and you can find me at uh, Potatoes, or let's just La and Slada de Papa. <laughs> 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 on hey, Twitter. Hey, hey. Can, or, can we let them know how much you stress about this every week? Oh my god, dude. I, I goofed, man. I should have just had regular ass URLs for my Facebook and Twitter. Or you can just find me at Marcus Dawson on Marcus Von Dawson on Facebook. That's a Q though, not a not a C. And no I or no E. So yeah, it'll be super easy to find me. You definitely <laughs> know Spanish and you definitely know how to spell my name. <laughs> We're just going to make you a really nice, tiny Earl. <laughs> yeah, right? That's what I should have. Um, just bitly.mark or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know what I was thinking. Oh, well. But, uh, yeah, with that, uh, I guess we're signing out. So, till next time, we'll catch you guys later. Peace. Will the circle be unbroken by and by, by and by, is a better